Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is, Meha, are you going to be upset if I say yet another founder who created yet another journal? <laughs> I'm not going to be upset because we're so much more than that. I can't believe that the world has this much of an appetite for journals, <laughs> but I also can't believe that there's a new spin on journaling. All right. The person whose voice you just heard is Meha Agrawal. She is the founder of Silk and Sonder. They're a subscription-based mental wellness journaling, exper journaling experience for women now. It looks like they're thinking about going long-term. And I'm totally with you on this, by the way. I do find that journaling has been better for me than therapy. Journaling has been better for me, I hate to say it, than talking to my wife, talking to my friends. I find that I don't hold back and I have more space to go in a journal than even if I do, even more than I do with a, with a therapist. You too? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's scientific proof on bringing pen to paper. So what you're describing is, is definitely something that I can relate to as well. I should say my goal here is to understand a little bit about journaling, but more to, to understand how you are making the journaling business work, how you found, I love that you did it on a subscription basis. I love that you care about whether people even fill out the journals because it is a challenge, right? Imagine somebody has the New Yorker at home after a year, they might feel guilty with you if they have 10, four, even two blank journals at home. They feel guilty and frustrated. I want to know what you're doing to solve that and even how to measure it. We're going to figure out how you did this and what we can learn as creators from you, thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're out there and you're creating, you need a website to host your, your business, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, will you? You're going to get a great price, excellent hosting, and you're going to be happy with them like I am. And number two, if you're trying to convert visitors into email subscribers, into customers, I'm going to tell you about a free report from Unbounce that will help you do it, but I'm going to talk about those later. First, let's get into dollars and cents so people see that we're really talking business here, not just woo-woo stuff. Revenue, how much are we talking about annually? Yeah, so I'll share what I can share, and that is in the millions. In the millions. How old is the business? A couple of years. So I've been full-time on it since 2019, um, and before that, it was a nights and weekends project since the end of 2017. Nights and, I love that this started as a nights and weekend project. Yes. I feel like I need to get my creative juices going again. And I'm going to go for maybe not nights and weekends. For me, it might be like 5 a.m. projects. Get oh. up early, just go yes. hack away at something and then get into life with that energy that comes from it. And so I want to figure out how you did it. Um, I thought you were in a pretty freaking good spot when you were doing this nights and weekends. What's the job that you had at the time? So I started Silk and Sonder while I was a software engineer at Stitch Fix, um, actually back at the end of 2017. And then in between, I joined another company called Fueled, where I was a product manager there. And so it was funny, I had the visionary skills of a founder, but the execution skills were quite lacking. Uh, so being a product manager at Fueled, I think helped me context switch and learn all the tools and the toolkit to be able to take Silk and Sonder to what I believe was around a thousand members, so about $15,000 in MRR when I decided to just quit and go full force and think about whether I even wanted to raise VC money to fulfill this dream. I love that even throughout my notes, I thought this was just Ari, our producer doing this, but in my notes, in my research, I kept seeing um, MRR, monthly recurring revenue. I love when physical product creators are talking monthly recurring revenue because I just don't think of it that way. And I like that you're blowing my mind with it. All right, let's get to know how you got to this place. You told our producer, listen, I was in my twenties. I, I hit a dramatic rut 
what do you mean by rut before before we yeah. get into the business? Yeah. So I think rut for me is waking up feeling incredibly underfulfilled, overwhelmed, anxious, uh, stressed, uh, not happy, quite frankly. Stressed about what? I always feel like, oh, this is my problem. I feel like only entrepreneurs have stress <laughs> work-related and everyone else must have it easy. I'm looking <laughs> at you. You're working Stitch Fix, The Muse, yeah. Analyst yeah. at Goldman Sachs. What's the anxiety coming from? Be open with me. I'll that, be open with that's you a great, that is a great question. And I think that's exactly the guilt that I was waking up with every morning because I had built this facade that life was great. I moved from San, from New York to San Francisco. I was dating, you know, my then boyfriend, now fiance, uh, new city, new dude, new job. I was working at a company on the verge of going public. Life looked great from the outside, right? And so mm-hmm. ultimately what happened was, you know, I come from a South Asian background didn't really know how to navigate therapy, felt intimidated by it. Coaching felt really expensive. Um, the self-help books were great. The podcasts were excellent, but I was unable to really use that as an accountability mechanism for me to feel better every day. And my friends stopped picking up my calls because I was this negative source of energy. And they're mm. like, man, we don't get it. Same question well, you're asking what me. Was the, what was the negativity about? I mean, let's, I don't want to put it down. I want to understand it and relate yeah. to it. What was going on? So I think in retrospect, what was going on was every two years, I would hit this career rut, right? And uh, that career rut was because I was on the wrong path. Being a software the engineer. Meaning you were just comfortable where you were, weren't growing, mm-hmm. weren't enjoying life or what? Great question. I would say it was discomfort, but in a less rewarding way. And that's because I am, I have, I've always had this entrepreneurial bug. I've always known that I wanted to build something bigger. And I felt like I was a cog in the wheel, right? Like at Goldman, great company, but my impact was very limited. At Stitch Fix, I was a software engineer. I was working at this great company, but I wasn't bored to be a software engineer, Mm -hmm. right? That was, that was, you know, right for the time. But in the moment when you feel like you're living somebody else's life story and not your own, that is where that anxiety happens, right? That that lack of fulfillment is coming from a calling from something bigger than yourself and this inability to see that right away and almost go through these motions to be able to diagnose the disease, as I like to call it, which is something you can't just put a Band-Aid on. You've got to take Was it a disease? Spirit. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think like I think there is this uh, world in which I lived in, um, in, in that I would try to find gold stars, right? Working at the mm. next best company, finding validation from my parents, from my peers, from society. Being a female software engineer is like this gold badge of honor yeah. that I felt like I was failing other people if I were to leave and do something else. And so I think oh, they get to, you. You had both modes. On the one hand, it wasn't just your parents. And again, you have uh, your parents or South Asian family. Yep. Parents are really pushing you to achieve a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just them pushing you, though. Internally, you have this need to get the gold stars, as you say, to yes. be not just at some schmo Wall Street company, but to be at Goldman Sachs, to be at the Muse, by the way, is a phenomenal company, yes. right? Yes. The Muse, Stitch Fix. And so you personally love it. But at this, not just your parents pushing you into this, but at the same time, you have this need to go do something else. Yeah. If you were to be open with yourself about why you didn't start a company, why you didn't move, what would it be? What's the reason? You mean back then? Back then, yeah. 
Well, I will out myself. I was tinkering with plenty of projects since 2013. Uh, one of them was a South Asian wedding planning company that I never launched uh-huh. um, because I was so scared. Again, going back to this gold star validation, how would customers react? And so when I decided to work on Silk and Sonder, my attitude was very, very different. I said, I'm giving myself two weeks and I want to see how, what I can build with a printing press that I literally found on Yelp and see if users would pay a dollar for it. And they paid $15 for it. And then I found that friends of friends were buying it. And so I did but, but, try to start a company. And why didn't you do it? Do you feel that it was this fear that other people would say, this is too small? Was it this fear that maybe you're you're not fast enough or that yep. you should have done it before? All of that. It was all of that plus more. I would say the biggest, the two biggest things was imposter syndrome. I've never done it before. So how could I do it well? And then number two is this isn't perfect enough. Let me build all the bells and whistles before I even launch it. And so that was my mindset for every project that I dabbled in before Silk and Sonder. And so I really shifted gears when I launched Silk and Sonder to overcome that fear, that self you know, self-imposter syndrome that we all face, especially as founders. And the way that you got the journaling was you tried therapy like me. I've said over and over again, I've not had great results with therapy. I'm all in on the freaking therapy. I'm there for it. Yeah. I'm not holding back. Yeah. And it doesn't really do much for me. I, I can't say that it's all a waste of time and that they're charlatans. It just sometimes it's helped a little bit. It's helped my wife when we go into couples therapy yeah. a little bit. So I'm there for her, but it doesn't give me that wow, I yeah. can't believe this is my life now. Yeah. I can't believe I've been holding this back yeah. moment, right? And yeah. and so you had that experience too? Well, actually, I never even tried therapy. Um, back then it was just, it was intimidating. I mean, you have to go through all these loopholes to try to figure out like, A, do I need therapy? Who's going to be a good therapist? It's like finding a partner, you know, thinking about which therapist is right for yeah, you. I love you. You're, you're overthinking it. It's like, <laughs> I, I see, I have someone in my family who does that. She's way overthinking it. Just yeah. go to the therapist, yeah. go be in there. Totally. And it's, it, but, it, but you know what's a challenge? How do you find the right therapist, yes. the matchmaking service, right? Yes. And don't tell me your friends will refer. That's how we end up with it. Yeah. My friends can't refer good movies to me. They don't yeah. know what I like, right? And I love yeah, them. Totally. They, they drink, they drink beer that I can't stand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but what you're describing though is exactly how I felt about meditation because at the time, Calm, Headspace, all these great meditation apps that were working for everybody around me were just not working for me. And I remember closing my eyes and just feeling more stressed and like in my thoughts. And I'm like, uh, how, okay. you know, that was very difficult. And I realized for me, active meditation worked, writing things down, slowing down, being forced to slow down was what I needed to self-explore. And mm. um, I think that's something that both therapy and meditation just they either force you to silence your thoughts or they force you to go like really deep in areas that you're just not in the mood to go deep on. And I think that's where journaling has been the savior. You started with five minutes. What did you do in those five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I had a very simple framework. Um, Three things I'm grateful for three things that are making me anxious with a little arrow on how to overcome that anxiety. So Mm. if I was nervous about the launch of something at work, this is like the best case scenario of what, what could actually happen. And then three things that I wanted to accomplish that day. And what, what that pattern essentially signified was this desire to briefly reflect, briefly practice gratitude, even though I don't feel like practicing gratitude, but most importantly, tie it to action. And I think that's the part that is missing from 
self-reflection, self-introspection. There's really like no thread on, okay, this is great. I like, I have all these insights about my personal core values, but now what, how do I take that and do something about it? I go back and forth on that. Sometimes I find giving myself the action tells me what to do and removes the worry or replaces it with something more constructive. Other times I find now I've sat down here and instead of relief, I've got a to-do list in addition to the to-do list. But what I found helps me is just, well, truthfully right now, I'm trying different things. What I found has helped me is to just think on paper. Here's what I'm going through and then give myself permission to go deeper and to say the things that I shouldn't say. And sometimes that's hard to uncover. Like right. who I'm jealous of, where yeah. I'm, where I'm, I'm scared and where I feel like I've failed myself. Right. Um, do I, I have tried gratitude. Mm-hmm. I find that that, that that helps a little bit. It's not enough on its own, but you know, what's useful is to then go back. I just interviewed Adi Painar, the founder of WooCommerce. Mm-hmm. And he had a period where he was going through a real negative period. And I asked him how he got out of it. And he said, got up early, started journaling regular basis, wouldn't give it up. And as I'm journaling, I sometimes think of him now. And one thing that he reminded me to do is go back and see what you did before, what you wrote before. It's so helpful to see what I was grateful for before that I thought I'm I'm doing it because I have to. Instead, I should have said, yeah, I have to put even more appreciation for these things that you're grateful for. You did like 10% appreciation because you you felt you had to go 110% because look at how amazing this was and you didn't appreciate it at the time. Um, And so it's sensitizing me to the things I I should be more grateful for now. And then- um, to also see the things that I was wrestling with and yeah. why did I let that happen for so long? There was a yeah. period a few years ago where I was wrestling with email where it would literally be waking up in the morning journaling. It's like, I can't believe I have to go through email. How am I going to clear it? Right. And I thought, damn it, that should not have been a, a pain in my life totally. to the degree yeah. that it was. All right. Um, so you can see I'm obviously way into journaling. Uh, I, love I love it. it. You you push yourself from five minutes to 30 minutes also every morning? Yes. Yes. Okay. And for kind of the similar reasons as you, I think you can't go deep enough by saying through things that you're grateful for, or through things that you're anxious about. And so allowing yourself the freedom to process of whatever comes up for you. And I think having a regular ritual um, in the morning is, is great, but also giving yourself no time limit, right? If you need 30 minutes in the morning, sometimes you'll only need 15 minutes, but to process whatever's going on or reflecting back in your journal is really um, useful sometimes. But now I typically, I've, I've appended to that, right? Because I'm now not just talking about gratitude. I'm doing affirmations. I'm visualizing. I am writing things like that I want to manifest in my life and and things like that. And so some days it's still, you know, five to 15 minutes and other days it's like 30 ish minutes um, of just free write journaling. What's the biggest thing that you're almost too embarrassed to admit here that you're affirming or aspiring to in your journal? Yeah. Great question. And, and I guess I'll say it out loud. We are, um, you know, we're in the process of launching a pretty big digital platform for our members. And so what I'm affirming is that it it will be an amazing success and that we will bridge the gap between analog and digital in a magical way. 
for mental wellness. Oh, I'm curious about how you're going to do it. So people write it down and then you give them a digital version of it or they're sharing the experience of journaling? No, 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 no. So our, our digital version is very much going to be an extension of what Silk and Sonder is today. So today it is a analog journaling product. And you can think of the digital version as um, the online community for peer-to-peer support and accountability that we've tested in a Facebook group that we're now bringing into a digital Uh, platform. And the idea is that other people are holding me accountable to journal on a regular basis. I do feel like I need the social element of it in some way. The thing that I do like about therapy is I sit there for an hour. No one interrupts me when when I'm talking to the therapist for an hour. I was out there journaling again this morning. My four-year-old must have some instinct that as soon as I sit there, he comes right out and sits oh next to me, to, which is cute and great. But I can't get into like the, the issues that I'm having when there's a four-year-old right there. Right? I hear but you. If, yeah. If, uh, I think one of the things that I've been doing lately is using something called Focusmate. Do you know it? I don't know if I've heard of Focusmate. Is it an app? Love that it was it was created by Mixergy fan. What he does is you go in there, he matches you with another human being who's there in real time. You do a screen share if you want, which I don't do. Yeah. Video share for sure, and you're in a session. You say to each other what you're going to get done in the next 50 minutes, and then you, you hit we hit mute, and then with someone watching you, you do it. And That's awesome. It keeps me focused, and then also if the kids or someone comes in and they see that I'm in a session with someone instinctively, we all know we don't interrupt the person who's in a conversation. We do interrupt someone who's down with paper. I don't know why people don't appreciate that. The I paper hear you. Is significant. It's it's yeah. Paper is significant. Yeah. That's where the best work gets done. Um, no, it's uh, it's incredible. I mean, in our case, I think what's been really rewarding to see is how much um, is, is possible when you empower members to share amongst each other's their little revelations on which parts of the journal, cause our journals are not blank. They're guided journals with different mm-hmm. frameworks, which parts of the journals have resonated for them, which parts they've repurposed, which parts are just like not speaking to them. And when you give that power, I think it gives everybody the permission to use Silk and Sonder their own way. And I think as a brand and as a founder, it's so beautiful to see, how people have utilized the tool in a very different way than I use Silk and Sonder. I mean, I am a black, like just one black pen, 0.4 millimeters or whatever it is. And I think 50% of my journal is always empty. Uh, I'm pretty bad at finishing things. And then I see this cohort of users that are just, you know, buying pens and stickers and washi tape and like using this as a canvas to, to express themselves creatively. I mean, it's just so rewarding to be able to see that. I've seen that too. I mean, not necessarily Silk and Sonder uh, users, um, but I have gone on Reddit threads where people share their journals and their notes. And it's amazing how beautiful they make it. And I think for some people that helps them think for me, it would be a distraction. I just want to (laughs) sit Nothing like you said, just, and I am specific about the type of pen I use. I actually prefer to do it with, um, right now with the, with the Apple pencil on my screen so that I always have it. I always feel with paper, someone could see my paper Uh and I can't give into it. And so I need something that's more, um, yeah, more private encrypted and all that stuff. Um, what I do with paper though, is if there's something that I really need to get into and I want to be able to destroy it and not think it's going to be on someone's server, I'll write it down and I'll just burn it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you I go through wanna, all those <laughs> hoops and hurdles. I do. I want to just be able to get it out. I, I remember reading, uh, who was it? Who the writer who, um, who <laughs> was supposed was 
had a hit out on him by the lead, by the by Khomeini. Ah. Oh. So whoever's listening knows it. I read yeah. I read one of his books and he talked about how he had a black journal and his he discovered his wife's journal and she said, This is my black journal. I said, What are you two talking about? Yeah. And in it, it was like all the poison that's in their bodies, they would put into their black journal. It wasn't even like the necessarily true stuff. Yeah. But you just want to get it out. Totally. Like if you want to hit someone instead yeah. of denying that feeling. You write which, it by out. By the way, I don't have I have <laughs> thankfully no one, uh, but you write it out and you get that blackness out of your system yeah. um yeah for me it would be the burn it that's where i would write who i was jealous of because i don't <laughs> want to admit that i'm jealous of anyone you know what's fascinating though andrew is that um i was surprised when i started silk and sonder i noticed that customers were sharing a lot with us as a brand right they would email in they would tell us how much silk and sonder is changing their lives one of the stories that really sticks out to me is while it was still a nights and weekends project, a customer said how this helps her with her ADHD. She has adult ADHD and getting a new journal in the mail every month just helps helps her um, feel grounded. And I think what was fascinating was when we did launch our MVP version of our online community, the way that people share. I mean, you're talking about encryption and you're talking about, you know, like a very private space, which Silk and Sonder offers, but we also celebrate this like, vulnerability that just kind of organically took place. I mean, I never really said, hey, tell us everything that you're writing in your Silk and Sonder. I just led by example and I shared whatever I was comfortable sharing, sharing, you know, with the audience and they ended up sharing a lot more. And I think that was pretty interesting to me. And I don't know if that's because of the type of customers we're going after versus, you know, folks like me and you who probably don't share a lot in general. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's like amazing to see that, you know, we have customers in all 50 states who have polarized views socially, politically during the past year with all the stuff that has you know, gone on. It yeah. was really rewarding to see that this is essentially a social network where people can coexist alongside one another despite having very different backgrounds and beliefs um, and then sharing that. Uh, but we obviously moderate. So I think that's probably part of the, part of the secret sauce. All right. So what I'm seeing here is the answer to one of my questions, which is how could there be more journals in the world? And the answer to that <laughs> is that you're hearing a lot of passion from me for journaling, right? I'm hearing yeah. passion from you and you from your customers for journaling. This is a thing that is as ancient as writing, but at the same time is as powerful and emotional as as some of these other things we talked about, like meditation that now people yeah. are getting into, like therapy that people are more and more embracing. It's it's up there with that. And I yeah. understand the passion for it. All right, let me take a moment, talk about my first sponsor, and then we'll get back in and understand right. once you knew this was going to be your nights and weekend project, you gave yourself a short amount of time. What did you find on Yelp? How did you create the first one? What did it cost? And so on. Um, how you got your customers. Uh, my sponsor is HostGator. Listen to me. If you are out there and you want to build a website, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. That's what I did. I literally used my own my own code to get the lowest price possible from HostGator because I do want the lowest possible price. And once you do, you're not only going to get the lowest price, but also dependable service that will just freaking work. They should put that up as their motto. Dependable hosting that will just freaking work. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. All right. You went to Yelp and you found what, a print shop or something? Yeah, a printing press. I mean, the first original version of Silk and Sonder was just printer paper, right? With some examples, some mock-ups. I sat down with a couple of friends of mine, said, would you use this? What would you change? Then we wanted it to look a little bit more legit. And so I 
just looked at Yelp. Um, a friend of mine told me, look up printing press. So I looked up printing press and found a couple options. And then I essentially figured out, and I can't remember what the budget was at the time, but I, I figured out like, okay, we want to do a run of 25 to start because we want to basically gift these to friends and friends of friends to see okay. what their feedback is. That is actually very expensive. So it's like, it's, I, I can't remember. I think it's like 25, 30 bucks, like just for per journal, essentially. For, because they're doing it digitally. Right. They're doing it digitally and they're doing like a very small run and there's like setup fees involved and all of this other stuff that I had no idea about. I mean, I was a software engineer, okay. so I had no clue. Um, so then that was kind of like, okay, this is like a little fun project. Let's just throw some money at it and see what people think. But then it was time to think about just basic break-even costs, right? And in my case, we have a dated planner slash journal. So it's like a perishable good. After 30 days, it's not useful. And so I had to think about how many customers do I think I can get? Is it 20? Is it 50? Et cetera. And I can't remember what the first run was, but it wasn't more than 50. I'll tell you that. And it was um, kind of this understanding with myself that, hey, we're putting a little money in. We're going to see if people are going to buy this. And if they do, then we can just increase the number of units. And I think it was around a couple hundred units where you essentially break even. Um, obviously, we pay for shipping. And so I just kind of did the math on that. And then all I cared about was getting to that break even number and like pouring the whatever margins we ended up getting later on. I would just pour that back in. I wasn't paying myself. And then, then I could see, does this engine run on its own or, you know, do we just close shop? And from the beginning, you wanted it to be a monthly subscription? Yes. Why? Yes. Because, you know, I could identify with our customers, which is I am that person that goes to Target and all these other places and gets really inspired by the beautiful stationery and blank journals and planners of all sorts. And January 1st would hit and I would buy a gorgeous annual thing, annual planner. And then it would be like March or April. And I'm like, haven't used any of it. That was a waste of 40 bucks. And now what do I do? And so this was an idea on, you know, keeping an authentic surprise and delight experience for the customers where they don't even know what they're going to get the next month. It's like somewhat consistent, but there's also new prompts, new guided uh, frameworks for them to engage with. And so it felt like this mix of surprise and delight and this permission to start afresh every month. So if you didn't use your journal enough the month mm. before, you get to hit reset, you get to put this one away, you could shove it away, you could toss it away, you just get to start again. And then there was this idea of why should we wait until January 1st to set our new resolutions? Why do we need to kind of let the year end before we can start afresh? Why not start afresh every month? Why not set your intentions every month? You know, life happens yeah. throughout the year. And so that was... Um, that was kind of the the idea behind it. And it also just so happened I was working at Stitch Fix, which, as you know, has a subscription component to it. And so thinking about both subscription and personalization and what that could do and unlock for emotional health was something I was really curious about. And I knew from my time at Stitch Fix that if we could connect with our user and create this feedback loop, we could iterate on the product and the experience and understand our users over time in a much quicker cadence than if we just did like a regular planner or journal and just be available on Amazon. I wonder if I should be using Stitch Fix, by the way. This V-neck <laughs> sweater. Great. You look great. I, I think this looks, this is great. It bothers me so much that it's just a little bit off center. I can't get the 
the V on the, um, on the sweater to, to line up properly. I keep adjusting it, but stitch fix will just be like a subscription service where they, they ask me a few questions and then they start shipping me stuff. And then if whatever I don't like, I ship back and I don't have to pay for, and then they come back the next month with more stuff. And every yeah. month, brand new stuff. I think I probably should do that. You should just, uh, you just got, a, you just gave him a free podcast ad right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, you know what it is? I think there's certain things that I need to have on subscription or else I won't do it. Yeah. And if it, if it's here, I'll do it and I'll take advantage of it. If it's not, I'll just say, I have to stop. You know, should always do this male barbers, barbers for men, <laughs> right? Because we do need, if the short haircuts are the way to go for men. So, or at least that's what's in style right now. Yeah. We, we just let it go and then yeah. we don't look good. And my barber should just say, Andrew, pay me this much for the year. Yeah. Come on in. In fact, it would be great if she even said, come as often as you like, as long yeah. as I don't have anyone else and I'll just clean up your neck or whatever, but let's do it on an annual basis. Otherwise I put it off. I'm also I'm loving that? that I got a haircut. I would, I, I tried to do that. I went to my barber. <laughs> I said, you take cash. I hate that all these people take cash lately. They've switched away. I said, I'm going to, I hate that I have to go to the ATM after I come in here because yeah. I forget about cash. Let me give you a stack of hundreds and <laughs> don't charge me for months. And you keep, she said, oh, okay. And then I think she hated the idea that she'd have to keep track of it all yeah, yeah. and that she'd owe me. And then what yeah. if it's, so then she just let that go. And I could see that I was driving her crazy with it. Oh my gosh. Just do it on a subscription and, and even better subscription. And then Give me priority VIP seating, yes, right? There you go. VIP That's awesome. seating. Yeah. And they, they could do it because there are always people who want to do last minute stuff. Yeah. Hold the VIP seating until three hours before. If somebody comes in, great. Love it. This could be your 5 a.m. idea that you tinker with. Make it work. Right. I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Just, subs oh, right. You know what it is? Subscription, subscription uh, haircuts, kind of like what was that? Class pass for, yeah, for hair. Yeah. <laughs> Like class pass for hair. Yeah, there you go. All right. I think that some the reason that I bring this up is I feel like sometimes we feel guilty charging by subscription, but it, damn it, as customers, we sometimes want that subscription. Yeah. Give it to me that way. Yeah. It's um, convenient. Don't make it feel predatory, you know? Yeah. Don't make it feel like Amazon is like, so what you want toilet paper delivered every month? Who subscribe and save? <laughs> you save two cents. And then they jump up the price on their subscribe and save because whatever algorithm says the price has to go up and they don't tell you. All right. I see where you did it. I see how you got it printed up. You went and you said, I'm an engineer. I'm going to create my own thing. Everybody loves Stripe. Stripe is phenomenal. Use Stripe. Tell me about what you created when you yeah. engineered your site. Yeah, it's a really funny story because at the time I was coding uh, in Ruby on Rails at Stitch Fix. And so um, I felt that's easier for me than learning how to use a very restrictive Shopify template. And I think the software engineers in the audience will appreciate that sentiment. Everybody else would think, wow, you're crazy. I certainly think, wow, I was crazy because ended up spending time essentially creating the Stripe account, integrating it with Stripe. And then once we started to fulfill orders, it was like a pain in the butt and we had to migrate to Shopify. And right, what was so, the problem with doing, did you get the design that you liked? You did. I, so I, because I created it my way, it looked great, probably better, like it probably just as good as a Shopify template, but that said, it took longer than what a Shopify template would have taken. Okay. Um, the pain point was not in the early days when you had like 25 to 50 orders, but once you got into the hundreds, it was like using stamps.com. It was manual. If you, you know, if someone didn't get their order, you had to like figure out a way to create an order, but not charge them. And it was uh. just, it was just like, why would you build an e-commerce platform from scratch when it could be way easier 
to kind of see where things are for, for a customer's order through what we now use, which is Shopify. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think of all the things that go into it. I think of Shopify as the hosting platform, but it's more yeah. than that. It's hosting. And then it ties in, like you said, to stamps.com. So you yeah. get your shipping labels and it ties into inventory. And then they use tracking mm -hmm. now and all that stuff. It's just built in there and move yep. on. Yep. Um, all right. And so how long did it take you to switch from your thing to their thing? Oh man. I think, um, I feel like it must've been closer to like six months. Uh, I just remember by this point I had moved to New York and, um, that's also a funny story because as we were approaching the thousand mark of number of customers per month, uh, I remember I had asked, uh, like, like literally I would push the dollies from my building to USPS because in New York, for whatever reason, USPS refuses to do a pickup from your apartment. And I just remember USPS would be like yelling at me, like, there's no space, there's no space. And I'm like, these got to get out. This is mental wellness. What do you want me to do? I mean, people want this. And so I remember like pushing this on like 23rd and, you know, Broadway or whatever, wherever USPS was, and then having to like take a subset to another USPS on 34th street. Um, wow. yeah. It was, because they wouldn't take your full order. Their job is to take the order. To take I know. The packages. But there's a first class bot or like like bin, and it was piling up. And it was funny. I went there and I saw some other brand that also had like first class mail going out. I was like, okay, I'm doing something right because I'm not the only entrepreneur who's like manually going into USPS for this. How did you get those first customers? Yeah. So the very uh, first one. Let's start with. The very first one was my friend Marina Salib. Uh, she was in she was in uh, college with me. She was my roommate, so she was my very first one. But then she told her friends, and then my you know other friends started to tell their friends. And I think what I did in the early days was I took off that imposter syndrome hat, and I basically email. I hustled. I emailed everyone I knew professionally and personally. I put it on LinkedIn. I realized you know your family and friends, like they will support you, but not all of them are going to buy your product, but that's okay because they'll at least tell others about it. And so within the first couple of weeks, there were friends of friends and then slowly friends of friends of friends. And then there were random emails coming in to hello at Silk and Sonder, uh, which was, you know, based basically because of our Instagram account, someone somehow found us. And that was how the early organic customers were found. And then of course, couple months in, decided to dabble with some ad spend, kind of hypothesize what the target audiences look like. I think I was, you know, spending maybe like 50 to a hundred bucks a month, just wanted to see. And that's how we got kind of the randoms. Um, and then from there it's history. Your Instagram is really strong. 60,000 followers, more, more than that. There's a certain vibe that I don't know what the color scheme is, but it's pretty consistent <laughs> with your site, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then like there's one here that's just this, I, I don't know, this antique bathroom. It has nothing to do with journaling. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it doesn't have your journal, right? It yeah. just has your vibe. Yeah. Where do you get that photo? Well, that photo that you're talking about is probably a regram, but I think the Silken Summer vibe is very much a holistic experience, right? Journaling is your scientifically proven evidence-based exercise format to elevate your emotional health, but being mentally well is also living life, doing things that calm and center you. And so that type of a photo is signifying, Hey, self-care Sunday, go soak in the bath, 
disconnect in order to reconnect with yourself. And so your your vision is let's find images that represent the vibe we're going for. I'm looking at one right here where it's on where it's the same colors as your site, kind of, but it's a chair with a teacup on it and a spoon. And again, this one's a regram. You're just finding things online that you like. You ask the creator if you could regram it on your site, mm-hmm. and that's it. And then you post it with a bunch of hashtags and explain this is explain what the connection is. And that's that's the thing that you're doing and people are following you. How? Yeah. yeah. And, I, follow? and then from there, of course, the reason I'm bringing this up is you're clearly getting sales. Yeah. Yeah. From that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that what the vibe signifies, right, whether you're on a, a table eating breakfast or whether you're soaking in the bath, you can very much be introspecting or even journaling. Uh, we have customers who like set up their, you know, journaling and candle thing in the bath and then journal there somehow. So I think, I think what we're conveying is like, hey, look at this aspirational, but it achievable, um, authentic lifestyle that you can create from the comfort of your home. And oh, by the way, we have a product so that you have an activity to do rather than just sit there. And so um, that's really, I think, where the messaging and the branding and the uh, essence of Silk and Sonder is coming through that vibe. This is this is just really well done. I'm just constantly scrolling <laughs> through your thing. And, and then every once in a while, you'll, you'll show a photo of the journal. Mm-hmm. I think if if you were to go after men, I think that the analogy that I would go with is it's like um, CrossFit for journaling. And the reason I bring that up is that I hadn't done a lot of CrossFit, but when I did, what I noticed is interesting about them is they keep varying up what the exercises, yeah. their exercise, right? Yeah. Same thing with journaling. Journaling is the same thing every day or make it up if you want to versus what you're doing with Silk and Sonder is saying, we're going to keep changing it up to keep it interesting, keep you engaged to try to see if we can find something that you're attracted to. Yeah. And I love that you use CrossFit because CrossFit has a big community component too. Right. Right. Yeah. I I had a chance to interview the founder of CrossFit in the beginning. Yeah. And I said, it's just another weight loss thing or (laughs) exercise thing. I think I'm going to pass. And my friend said, no, I'm building software for this community because it's big. I said, it's big for you. It's not that big. <laughs> I was totally missing the boat on that. Um, all right. You kept on getting subscriptions. Oh, and that's the other reason why you want to have, um, no, no, why you wanted Stripe. Stripe is good for subscriptions. But then I noticed, I went to SEMrush to see where's Silk and Sonder getting their traffic. And one of the things that I saw was you were using a tool from, from a Shopify tool for subscriptions. Yeah, called right? Recharge. Recharge. It actually, it has a different name. It's, uh, I saw it in the traffic, uh, a different name. How helpful is that? It's it's fantastic. I mean, I think like with any software system that you're not um, building from scratch, there's obviously limitations and drawbacks with like SKU tracking, for example. Um, we're not your classic uh, subscription where you're getting the same deodorant month over month, Mm -hmm. right? We're a new product every month, Um, but it's fantastic. I mean, it syncs with Shopify, it syncs with our, um, you know, internal systems for shipping. So it's, it's very easy to use. And I think in order to focus on growth and focus on scaling, it's much better to work with these systems and up until a certain point, and then at a certain point, it might make sense to build your own, but um, for now it's working great. And the team's awesome. 
here's what I saw in, in SEMrush. It's shopifysubscriptions.com. Then I followed it to see what is this tool. And that's what I saw. It's called yeah. Recharge. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you a couple of other things that I saw in your traffic analytics in a moment from SEMrush. But let me take a moment to talk about my second sponsor. Hey, everyone. If you've got a landing page on your site, man, I don't know if you guys use a landing page. You know what I think you should do? Here's, here's something that you should do. You should offer up printable versions of some of, are you thinking about doing this, right? Like, yes. Like lead magnets. Right. Here's a, like, you may not be ready to try this. You may think that this is, you might be skeptical. Obviously the benefit of Silk and Sonder is the feel of the journal, the ability to see that there are multiple pages that you should fill in the possibilities at the beginning of the month and so on. Right. But some people might just want to try it out. Is this journaling for me? And so if you just said to them, print out our journal. It feels like a very free thing, like a generous yeah. thing to do. And in reality, people are going to print it out, even if you give them the whole thing. And they're going to say, I don't want to keep track of all this. When am yeah. I going to get a stapler and all that? Let's just, I'll just pay for it. But I see the, I see the thing here and I'm on a roll. Anyway, if you were to use that, Unbounce will do it. Um, and obviously there's other software that'll do it too. So here's what Unbounce decided that they're going to do with me. They said, look, Andrew, we've been using uh, or businesses have been using our software for years. We watch what's worked and what hasn't. We see what gets in, what increases conversion, what doesn't. We see what people in your space do and what's working for them. How about we just put together a report and we make it available to all the Mixergy people and allow them to see how how others in their space are doing landing pages, what's working for conversions for other people, what the numbers look like so that you don't just say, man, oh man, we didn't do very well when you look at a number, but instead you say, actually, we did much better than everyone else in our space, much better than everyone. Anyway, for people who are out there, I see you're nodding. For people who are out there who are nodding along with me too, here it is completely free, downloadable. Go to unbounce.com slash CBR, unbounce.com slash C. B R conversion benchmark report unbounce.com slash CBR. All right. Here's what else I saw. I saw a uh, share sale analytics in, in your traffic. So that means affiliates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about what you're doing with affiliates. Yeah. So it's, it's actually an interesting story in the early days. Um, there were a couple of customers that happened to also be bloggers. And so that was an indicator that maybe we should spin up an affiliate program eventually. And so we haven't really fleshed out that, that program, but I, I think that the premise is that so much awesome content is, is created by these bloggers and vloggers, and they should get a, a commission for every sale that they generate. And really what we're doing is empowering, I guess, a, a form of an entrepreneur uh, that way. And so we do have some stuff running with affiliates. Um, and then we also have obviously a referral program as well. And the referral program is for your customers to tell their yeah. friends, what's the benefit there? What do you give them if they uh, do it? I believe it's give five, get five. What does that mean? More. Give five, get, oh, you're giving five them bucks. $5 discount. You get a $5 yeah. discount. And does yeah. share a sale keep track of that for you too? So share sale has something similar. I don't quite remember what the, what the percentages are because I don't manage it anymore. No, I mean, did it you is. build it yourself or did you use share sale to also empower the give five, oh. get five? Oh no. We, so we use share sale for uh, affiliates. more like affiliate stuff. And then we use, um, we use a Yotpo program for referrals. Ah, okay. That's another. So all that's these different things, because you're now on a platform that's that's popular, yep. all these different ideas that you have, you don't have to come up with software for it yourself. Exactly. Someone else has done it, put it in. You decide you want to have upsells, downsells yep. afterwards. You have it in. Do you have any upsells? 
upsells as in meaning when somebody subscribes after they paid you do you offer them uh something oh, else that product. they could buy yeah, yeah no that's what i was like upsells for a second we don't have multiple products right now so really beyond sonder kids and our annual supplement which are just two other journal offerings one for the bait for the you know around six to 12 year olds. And then one is, um, kind of like a, like a more holistic view to your personal wellness. So it's not a planner. It's more like bigger ideas and dreams and breaking it down yep. goal by goal. Those are the, really the only upsells, but we're not doing it in, as part of the flow yet. Uh, okay. All right. Makes sense. And, and frankly, I don't think that's this Shopify makes that part easy enough. Yeah. They should. And I know that they've got restrictions on it. I've talked to a few, I've talked to one specific creator, a software creator who made something for it. And it's not an easy thing to get through with Shopify. All right. Um, One of the things that you told our producer was you expected that you were going to end up with these hyper achievers, that they were going to use your journal to achieve even more, right? Like Tony Robbins types customers. Instead, you ended up with people who just want to elevate their emotional health. How did you recognize that that's what they were coming into you for? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think like many good founders, my story is also rooted in a personal journey. And so I assumed women on the coastal cities, hyperachievers, people who want to like win across all areas of life, personal, professional, emotional, um, was going to be the only demographic. But then uh, the way that I figured this out was as soon as we had kind of non-friends of friends trickling in, just names that I didn't recognize, people from Kansas, people from Texas, people from states that I don't personally know anybody in, um, I just decided to reach out. And I think uh, the biggest power you have in the early days is you know, everybody wants to talk to the founder. And so I literally would talk to hundreds of customers, hear their stories. And that's how I figured out that there, that there are different types of personas. How did you get them on the phone even? Oh, uh, just an, just a very thoughtful and polite email the same way I got my investors on the phone. (laughs) And it was just, and I want to get to the investors. I'm surprised that you got investors, 500 startups as a backer, but wait, you just sent them an email saying, thanks for buying my product can I talk to you about how you plan to use it? And they said, sure. And then I guess they went to Calendly or something. Or yeah, scheduling yeah. It, was, um, it was a little bit more nuanced than that. It's more like, hey, I've noticed you've been a customer of ours for X number of months. I hope you're enjoying your Silk and Sonder experience. We are thinking about ways to better serve you. Would love to get 30 minutes of your time. And what's amazing is when you give your customers the power of giving you both, you know, constructive feedback as well as positive affirmations, it just opens up so much opportunity. I mean, the types of things that, you know, people felt were missing, we added in, or um, people felt like, you know, certain parts were confusing or the format of the pages were not in the right order and things like that. And, And I think when you give that kind of luxury and freedom and agency to your customer themselves, like they are grateful. You don't even have to compensate them because they're just so excited to be heard. Okay. And then I'm guessing that you weren't really super um, anal about how you were taking in that, that feedback and what you were doing with it. Right. It was just, let me talk to them. I'll understand. I'll make some notes. Right. There was no spreadsheet with how many times do I hear this one thing over and over or was there? Yeah. So there was a spreadsheet, but it was all, I mean, I think from my product management days, there's a power and there's a, there's a certain framework you can use for user interviews in which it asks open-ended questions because really you're trying to get 
into the details. And it's really important to listen as opposed to just like have a survey of things that you're checking off. And so um, one thing I did pretty well was just listen to them and take notes as they were talking and letting them elaborate on things even off of the script. Um, but at the core, it was very much, who are you? Where do you come from? What's your life story? So I could get a sense of, you know, demographic data that we could then use to target similar customers. Um, and then otherwise we were asking questions around like, how do you use your silk and sonder? What was confusing? What did you, you know, expect to receive and, and how did you feel when you got it? And then, um, I think just keeping those types of questions open-ended because those are where the golden nuggets are. It's not, you know, me asking the, the, the leading questions just to get the answer that I want. Where'd you get the questions? I just made them up. Oh, okay. I thought there was a, but there's a framework so, that you're using. The framework is more, um, so from my days in being a product manager at uh, Fueled, where we were launching minimum versions of mobile apps, uh, when we're understanding the problem of what we're solving, you ask kind of open-ended questions even before you decide a feature set. And so I applied that kind of methodology to this set of user interviews where it's more about understanding who your customer is, what types of tools they use before Silk and Sonder, what problems Silk and Sonder is really solving for them and letting them kind of elaborate and lead that discussion uh, mm. versus me saying like, you know, Silk and Sonder is a great product, right? It's helped you do this, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, the what did you use before is an interesting one. Um, what else? I, I've heard that from Noah Kagan. The other one that he's uh, suggested is also, where are you? What sites are you on? Where yeah. are you getting you your information? Read? What do you read? Yeah. Um, okay. And then you started to discover that that's what they wanted. And you said to our producer, I decided I was going to do a ton of research on positive psychology. I, I, you felt like you were getting a PhD in self-help books. Yeah. What did you learn from them? And what are some books that helped you? Oh yeah. Oh man. There's a whole, there's a whole list of them. I would say the one thing by Gary Keller, I think it is, um, that was probably most instrumental because it tells, it kind of reminds me that you have to live, you know, life a little bit more holistically and in balance and thinking about what is the one thing across different categories of your life that you can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes unnecessary. Um, What's the book? Uh, the, the, the one, one thing, the one the thing, one thing. Got it. Yep. Okay. Yep. I would say essentialism was another one power of now. So uh, how are you using essentialism to help, to help you create prompts in a journal that helps people focus? So essentialism wasn't necessarily like tactical prompts, but I think it's this notion of like focusing on your strengths, focusing on things that really light you up. Like I think, uh, essentialist parents, you know, parents that practice essentialism are really thinking about, okay, you know, my, my child does not need to be everything under the sun. We notice that she's really gravitated towards dance, how to double down on dance. And so similarly thinking about what type of questions or prompts do we need to evoke um, amongst our customers so that they can identify, oh, I'm really enjoying cooking. I see this as like therapeutic for me. I'm going to double down on cooking. So it's kind of like that philosophy. Okay. All right. You mentioned investors. Yeah. Why did you decide to go for investors? This seems like a lifestyle business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, one that I thought about quite uh, quite for some time, especially during the ups and downs of, of raising. And I think if I wanted to just stop at a notebooks business or a journals business, we wouldn't need outside capital, right? It's a very, it has great margins. You can run it um, as we were. I think for me, I feel compelled to build a much, much bigger business where 
mental wellness is where fitness and weight loss is today. So you see Noom, you see Weight Watchers, you see how they've leveraged in real life and virtual communities alongside personalized journeys on weight loss. You see what SoulCycle and Peloton have done for fitness. Why is it that mental wellness is stuck in the stone age where everything is self-navigated, isolated, et cetera. And in order to build that big of a business with the level of personalization and evolution that we need across an individual's life, um, informing these habits and, and kind of being able to proactively and reactively deal with your self-care uh, is something that requires capital and resources and people much smarter than me to help us achieve that dream. I was thinking you were going to, I was thinking you were going to say, well, there are these box businesses where people subscribe and they get stuff. And now we start with journals. We might give them some health food or something else. And that's what justifies it. It's a subscription of products. This model has existed before. We're just going to do it differently. But you're thinking, I want to do self-help in a new way. Yeah. yeah. And so what do you envision? If you're looking five years from now, what do you see happening? What do you see yeah. Silk and Sonder offering? Yeah, I think um, I think I, I have two things. Number one is kind of externally when anyone in the world thinks of, oh my God, I don't feel hundred percent. I feel anxious. I feel stressed. Being able to think of Silk and Sonder as your go-to destination for almost like your self-care prescription or whatever we call it, um, or, or essentially like your, your self-care tool, tool set, uh, you think of Silk and Sonder. So if I feel anxious because of my relationships, I go to Silk and Sonder, I type that in somewhere and I'm able to see what prompts I should use, what, you know, what parts of the journal I should engage with, who I should reach out to. Um, and that kind of like reactive ability as well Through as journaling that you journal. might. So just like a, a doctor would prescribe medicine and a homeopathic, whatever would prescribe uh, homeopathic, whatever's yeah. you're saying your prescription is going to be, here's a journal, write it out. And, th- um, and that is going to be the model. Is it going to be digital, do you think, at some point? Or is it all going to be analog? Yeah, great question. We are actively building a digital platform. I would say analog is your place to reflect, but digital is your place to share. kind of share and also um, understand your emotional health in a way that you can't do just by writing. You need to like surface that data to yourself. But you're not going to do a... Um, like, like a, a digital a di- day. Yeah, no, no digital... It has to be on paper. It has to be freehand. Um, what do you think about this? I sometimes feel like like you want someone to walk you through your journal. I almost would, I don't know that I could do this. <laughs> For some things, I just almost want a, a person to prompt me yeah. and to write it down or to, I don't know. I, I yeah. some, sometimes journaling feels like, like you're there with writer's block. And I know that you're, you're adjusting that you're fixing it with prompts, but it's still you and the paper. And yeah, well, you, what you're saying is you want a life companion. You want, you know, you want your life coach companion with you day after day. And that's exactly what I see Silk and Sonder as. Um, And that's what you're thinking the community is going to be. The community already is that I would say Silk and Sonder as a brand should basically understand you as if they were the passenger seat of the car that you're driving. All right. And so when you talk to investors, how hard was it to get 500 startups to sign up and say, sure, we'll help accelerate? Yeah. Yeah. So by the time I got to 500 startups, I'd raised a little bit of money. So there was a bit of proof on ability to raise capital. And also- and let's pause. The first, the first uh, investor was? 
Sapna Shah of Red Giraffe Advisors based in New York, okay. who literally told me no. Um, and basically for a period of time, just served as a mentor and tried to convince me that I may not need capital. And then once okay. she saw this vision and the community pieces, she's like, holy crap, you're onto something. Okay. I want to be the first check-in. Okay. And then you heard from people that af after you get the first check, it's much easier to get other people, especially yep. if they have some kind of credibility. And yep. And it's not, uh, I think every person, so an investor's job is to be skeptical, right? And luckily I grew up uh, with a dad who's a professor. So as a PhD, he's also very skeptical. So I've been used to justifying my dreams and my ambitions and and, and all of that. And so I think, um, I think what you realize is that every investor is going to either get your vision or not, like you or not, and be able to problem solve alongside you or not. And I think what I love about every single investor that I have on my cap table is they are highly critical. Like they definitely can see around the corner more than I can, but there's this desire to solve problems, which is very important, you know, for a founder, because you want to be able to call up your investor who's optimizing for the same outcome as you and say, Hey, I'm, I'm going through a tough time. I don't know how to deal with this. Help me. And, and they want to help you because What's it's a problem that you interest. took to an investor. Well, I think recently just the imposter syndrome that I'm dealing with in migrating our community from a place that's just popping. Like it is working. I mean, Facebook is working it's, right. It's right. I hate that Facebook <laughs> works as a group, right? Because I, I, I don't want to be on there. And yeah. so you're saying, who am I to take them off of Facebook? They're already yep. telling me they love it <laughs> and I have to move them over here. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and what did your- I mean, I think, I think like investors have said, look, like- like this is a business decision. You may find that it totally fails, but that's okay. You have to at least try it. So I think there's this like permission and understanding. There's also this, um, this kind of reality of, you know, you're going to launch this thing and you're going to wish you had done it sooner. So it's like that optimism that as a founder, you're constantly thinking of like the negatives all the time. Um, and then also strategizing. I think like there was a question around, do we just totally close this or do we do a phased rollout? And so hearing the different perspectives is very much a strategic play. And this is all based off of what they've seen in the past um, or what they hypothesize and stuff that as a solo founder is certainly hard uh, to make a decision on sometimes. And so what you ended up doing was saying, I'm going to test it. We don't have to migrate everyone until we know yep. it works. And then once you test it, you have enough to go back to your Facebook community and say, look, this is working better than it did to Facebook. Yes, exactly. Let's move it over. Trust me or don't just trust me. See the results. Let's try this. Okay. Exactly. Um, and then 500 startups. One of the reasons why you went to them was you're a solo founder. You've got nobody to chat with yep. and 500 startups takes you in and then they give you what? Well, they give you a little money, but more importantly, they give you a community of other founders, uh, plenty of perks. And I would say the one thing I love about 500 startups is they allow the founder to kind of make this decision on what do you want to focus on? There's there's growth and there's capital and you can do both. At that time, I wasn't interested in raising more money. I was interested in growing my business. And so they had a lot of folks that are just amazing digital marketers. And I took it upon myself to learn almost like I was taking a class on different strategies and tactics on how to grow my business. And I think because I what? grew it. Because they bring, sorry, how much did you grow up by? And then I want to ask I think the process. I, if I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was around 10X after four months. 10, and because <laughs> they have specific people who have worked who have worked for tech companies, for startups in the past at growth, and they hired them to 500 startups, right? And yeah, they said, your job as, is do it for them. As what? 
so they don't do it for us. They basically get, they're kind of like your professors or your teachers. That right. Sorry, teach, do yeah. whatever it is that you did, teach them so they can yep. do it. But you are full-time at 500, they, meaning these practitioners, full-time at 500 startups, whatever they did at these startups, they have to teach you how to do. And they don't have a side gig or another thing that they're focused on. This is what they're doing full-time. No, no. So I think, okay. I think yeah, that being me. a mentor is the side gig. All right. So the mentor is a side gig. They're doing it as practitioners, yeah. but were you able, what, what helped you grow 10 X? Who was it that you talked to? Give me one example. I think, um, oh, I guess this is a great story. One of our then growth advisors, informal growth advisors who eventually became an investor, um, I told him, look, I think I think the Facebook ads are working. I'm sitting here writing the copy. The CAC is like seven bucks, which is amazing. Like, I want to grow this and I have no clue. And so I would meet with him weekly, one-on-one, um, -on -one, and he basically gave me like strategic tips. And eventually he's like, you're onto something really big and really great. And I think, a, you should raise more money and, and go faster and B, like you have product market fit. So what are you doing? Like, let's, let's grow this thing. And I think like giving me the comfort of spending more money, understanding ROAS and like all these marketing terms that I had no idea about being an engineer. Um, and when he told me he wants to invest and that I need to reserve some space for him, for him, to me, that was just like, so affirming because he's closest to my mm. numbers. Who and is so, it? His name is Soso Sazesh. Okay. What's his background? What's he, where's he, he working? He started his own digital marketing agency, very, uh, very successful, was acquired by W Promote, um, fantastic human overall, and um, somebody that I lean on, you know, a lot for all of our growth tactics. All right. Here's one thing again, uh, Samrush that stood out for me where, and where you're getting traffic. Yahoo. Yahoo ads are working for you? I didn't know we're running Yahoo, Yahoo. search. I, maybe you're not running <laughs> Yahoo ads, but you're getting traffic from Yahoo search. Oh. <laughs> and then you're also sending traffic to Eventbrite. What are you doing on Eventbrite? Ooh, great question. We are um, hosting Sonder Circles, which are these guided journaling sessions uh, that is hosted on Eventbrite. So people get together on Zoom yep. and then there's a coach or someone guiding them. And then they all, yeah. that's what I'm talking about, right? So you're not just sitting there by yourself, right? Yeah. You have this thing where the person's coming, watching you, talking to you, and you're all journaling together. That's a great idea. That makes total sense. Yeah. I don't know why no one's done that before. <laughs> all it's right. hard. That's why. <laughs> when we close it out with this, so people remember the the company name, it's Silk and Sonder. Where would the name come from? Where is this? Yeah, so um, Sonder happens to be a made-up word only found in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. It essentially means that every passerby around you is living this life populated by their own ambitions, their own worries, their own fears, and they think they're living this life in isolation, but really we feel that heaviness of life on our agnostic lanes. And so Silk and Sonder is our way of adding smoothness and ease to an otherwise very isolating and heavy feeling of life. All right. Um, I was also checking to see, does it mean something in another language? Yes. In Swedish, Sonder means without. Oh, Maybe that's well, where it came from. Sonder is with and without. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The website is silkandsonder.com. It's also on Instagram and you guys have the handle Silk and Sonder. And there's also Silk and Sonder for kids and all this other stuff going on in the world uh, <laughs> of Silk and Sonder. Congratulations. I feel like you've hit on something really impressive. And um, I wouldn't have guessed. I, I wouldn't have guessed. Here's what I've taken away from this. Number one, think about subscription. 
Number two. Oh, let me ask you this. How did you know when people weren't filling in your journal? I, I brought that up in the beginning. How'd you know if they were filling it in and what you could do to adjust if they weren't? I literally would send a form at the end of every month, which pages did you use? That's it. And so you kept track and that's one of the numbers that you try to improve month after yep. month. And then what happens if people just don't do any, then they don't want to come in and fill out the form. They feel guilty. So is that also a metric that you look at? I mean, I think we look at churn, right? We look and see if those that have engaged with the journal are, are more mm. likely to retain. Um, and what we found is that a lot of customers don't always use their journals because life gets in the way, but there's this mindset of forgiveness and, Hey, I tried to commit my, to myself, but I kind of failed. So I'm going to try again next month. And so what, how do you tie that back into, how do you tie the form results back into your churn so you can make a connection? I find that that's such a basic thing to ask for, but I don't know software that does that. Well, no, it's all manual and, you know, we could be doing a better job now at our current scale, but in the early days, it was really informative of, you know, those that love the product, why do they love the product? How much are they engaging with the journal? Um, and how much, you know, like, who are they? What's their, what's their profile of person? And I think ultimately it's this, um, that lingering desire to, to spend time on yourself needs to be there. Otherwise you're not going to make the habit. All right, silkandsonder.com. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first one is if you're hosting a website, do what I did, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And frankly, I think everyone should be doing interviews. It's just such a great way to learn from other people and then extend your reach by by reaching out to people who care about your guest. If they don't care about me, they care about you, right? <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. I'm sure there are people who are like that. And then they come in, they discover me and they say, you know what? This guy, Andrew, is actually not half bad. And then they come back and they listen to more interviews. So as a growth hack, interviews are fantastic. As a learning hack, they're even better. Better. All right. So if you want that, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, sign up for them. And if you want to figure out how to get more people to subscribe, more people to buy, how to improve your conversion rates and see what's working for other people and copy the best ideas. All right. Here's what you do. Go to unbounce.com slash CBR. They're not even promoting their software. They're just saying they will give you their report for free right now. Unbounce.com slash CBR. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this interview. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye.